Connor relaxed and smiling. Oh, no! Just he slapped him! Like I don't like you because you're dangerous. I don't give a fuck what you say, motherfucker. Yes! He's out! He's out! Maverick, we're hit! We're hit again! Damn it, Maverick! I'm on my way. Three, two, one. be my wingman anytime this is the believe in mma mavericks podcast featuring your hosts mike straka and ike feldman what's up everybody welcome back glad you liked our teaser glad you're listening to episode one the official episode again this is the mma mavericks podcast bringing you everything mixed martial arts all the biggest news and headlines from the world of combat sports Again, I'm Mike Feldman, but the anchor, the legend of the mixed martial arts broadcast game, Mike Straka. Mike, what's up, brother? Hey, how you doing? I'm great, man. I'm great. Episode, or the teaser's in the can. Episode one is here. What do you want to talk about? Is there anything big in the world of mixed martial arts that happened recently? Anything? Can you name anything? <laughs> There's only one thing big in the world of mixed martial arts right now, and that's Conor McGregor. Oh, I thought you were going to say the MMA Mavericks show. But, yeah, yeah, Connor's good, too. Well, he made uh, a real big splash in his return against Cowboy Cerrone. 40-second TKO victory. Uh, And he did it in very dominant fashion. Uh, And I hate to say it because I love Cowboy, and everybody loves Cowboy, as I'm sure you do, too. But I I saw it coming. Yeah. I I saw it coming, and, you know, know, everybody knows Connor's a slow starter. And – I mean, I'm sorry, Cowboy's a slow starter, and, uh, you know, Connor just took advantage of it. Smooth, swift, skillful. He called his shot. Is there anything wrong with the matchup going into it that you saw? Well, you know, it's hard to say anything was wrong with it because it's Cowboy Cerrone. Everybody knows he's a warrior. You know, everybody knows that he comes out and he leaves everything in the octagon, and he's done it for years. Um, so, no, I don't think there was anything wrong with the matchup. I actually liked the matchup. And I appreciated that Connor gave it to, to Cowboy because, you know, Cowboy has made a lot of money in his career, but not the kind of money he made at UFC 246. Of course, of course. I, I'm estimating at least $5 million, maybe $10 million. Uh, Comparing it to Nate Diaz, I think Nate in that UFC 196, the total upset by Conor McGregor where he submitted him and everything, I think Nate at least netted two to five million. So I, I could see Cowboy before sponsors, but the Budweiser sponsorship was everywhere. But before sponsors, I could see him getting close to two to five million, which was probably the biggest payday of his life. Absolutely. And not that he hasn't made that much money in his career, because he has. Uh, but th- as for, for one, one main event, that's, that's a great payday. And like I said, it's nice that Connor gave it to Cowboy because he could, Connor can write his own ticket, as we know. He could fight. Mike Feldman. I mean, Mike Straka would probably be in the millions, but he could make $80 million fighting me. <laughs> yeah. He could fight a broom. Listen, Connor has transcended the sport. You know, Ronda Rousey, Connor McGregor, uh, there's not many other names that are household names like that. And they, they really, both Ronda and Connor have transcended the sport. And it's now, you know, you and I have been following the sport for years. I've been, I started covering the sport, I think, at UFC 32. Wow. And and that was back in 2001. And I'll tell you, uh, nobody ever thought that it would be on ESPN. Nobody ever thought 
it would get to mainstream media and or or even msg i mean think about it new york new york state was the last one to sanction mixed martial arts so and that's the, that's the media capital of the world uh you know then you look at how the fertita brothers and dana bought it for two million dollars and then they sold it for four billion dollars so there's there's a lot to be said for where the sport has come in all those years they won't admit it but uh, i think part of that four billion dollar sale in midsummer of 2016 has to be credited to conor mcgregor if wme and img are looking at uh the company and then in december 2015 we see the rising star the biggest star come through on the biggest stage and knock out jose aldo at ufc 194 i think that's a huge selling point that wme william endeavor whatever that they have conor mcgregor under their belt in his prime years. I think Conor McGregor helped with the sale of the company and also helped get it on ESPN. Do you agree? A hundred percent. And I also think you got to credit Ronda Rousey for that as well, because yeah, Ronda, yeah. if you can think about at her post UFC career, the first thing she did was go to WWE for millions of dollars. And who represents WWE? William Morris Endeavor. Oh, who wow. represents the UFC for television deals? William Morris Endeavor. Ari Emanuel has, has looked at this sport uh, from a different perspective. I remember when Tony Pontoro, who was the head of marketing for Anheuser-Busch, first did a Budweiser sponsorship for the UFC. And I believe it was UFC 100 when Brock Lesnar fought. And it was, a, it was a big deal for Dana White. And he was so happy because it was a, you know, when you look at Budweiser, Budweiser was the most important sponsor of all sports on television yeah so they're the biggest guys for nfl and nfl is the big dog when it comes to sponsorship money and when it comes to you know franchises and how much money they they, they earn on their tv deals so to have budweiser come in that was a huge huge step forward for the ufc because it legitimized everything the fertita brothers and dana were doing uh with the sport with the TV deals, you know, how many times did we hear Dana back when he was on only pay-per-view saying, I don't need TV, you know, I don't need TV. And he went through several meetings trying to get UFC on television and nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted any part of it until finally Fox sports, you know, paid almost a billion dollars for a seven year deal. And I was working at Fox news and I was covering UFC on a show called Fox fight game. And they told me to stop covering it. They didn't want me to do it because it was so out, outside of the box. And then sure enough, two years later, Big Fox, Fox Sports, <laughs> signs a hundred, you know, a $1 billion deal. Wow. And I, 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 was, I, I still always say I was so far ahead of the game because, uh, I, you know, I had my position at Fox News Channel as VP of digital. And I said, you know what? I'm covering this. I'm covering this sport because I believe in it. I also believed in Dana White. And as a fighter myself, I, I was, you know, excited about covering the prospect of the sport. The first guy I ever interviewed uh, at the UFC was Randy Couture. And Randy, as you know, and I'm sure as all the listeners know, was a very eloquent speaker. He was smart. He is smart. But he was also a legendary fighter. And when, when people saw Randy on my show, and I'm talking to people on television, on national TV, they thought, wait. This is a mixed martial arts fighter. This is a, this is a cage <laughs> fighter. This is an ultimate fighter. And then How come you, he's not slurring his words. How come right. he's not drooling out of his mouth? <laughs> exactly. 
And then you, you throw people like Josh Thompson in there, handsome guy, also yep. well-spoken. You know, and I, I was really smart. You know, I, you know, I hate to say it. I'm not going to name names of people that I wouldn't interview who were big in the sport because I didn't think they represented the sport in a way that I could keep covering it because I had to be very careful about covering the sport and making sure that my bosses at Fox News go, what the hell, who the hell is this guy? Like, why would you put him on? You know, George St. Pierre was another one I used to interview. Matt Hughes was also very well-spoken, uh, very calm. Um, but, you know, George St. Pierre, was, he looked like a superhero for crying yeah. out it's, it's true, man. I, I dealt with some of the same things at uh, CBS early on. They, uh, all of a sudden, I was taking up studio space. They're like, who's that big towering black figure? They obviously didn't step in mid-interview because that would be inappropriate and unprofessional. But as soon as Francis Ngannou left the studio and the UFC PR team followed him out, uh, my boss grabs me aside. He goes, hey, what are you doing? I, I, that guy's huge. Who is he exactly? And I go, that's a fighter. He's respectful. But if you stepped in in the middle of that interview, he would kill you. But I'm letting you know he's respectful. He's bilingual. He's smart. But these are killers. That, that's what I think is the best representation of the sport. They're humble. They have a ton of humility, and they're gracious with their time. But if you cross the line, there, there's a point of no return. And that's why I love fighting, man. It's respect at the end of the day. And it kinda, it's kind of gotten uh, wishy-washy with Conor McGregor's era. But I think it's coming back. And you mentioned this off the air. You're kind of happy, can I say, that Conor McGregor is humble in victory? Absolutely. And I don't know if it's because he's fighting a legend in Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, but he showed respect. You know, he gave respect. He even, I don't know if you saw this in his post-fight interview, he, he intimated to the UFC, I hope you share the wealth, which I think that's one of the reasons why Danny gave five post-fight bonuses. I saw that. And I think, you know, Connor, I think Connor might have influenced that because he said, I hope you share the wealth. And he wasn't, who was he talking to? He had to be talking to the UFC. Yeah, it's perfect point. Conor, make it, Conor McGregor after pay-per-view buys, and the rumor is $2 million, and this is from a boxing source website, so I don't know how much credit that has. But if this thing is making $2 million, uh, 2 million pay-per-view buys, and Conor McGregor is netting close to $80 million, why does he even have to get a bonus? I heard he did get a bonus. Give everybody who got to win the bonus. High tide is supposed to raise all ships. $50,000 times five is great. Make it $100,000 on pay-per-view cards. Come on, Dana. We're on ESPN. In my opinion, that was a little stingy. I agree. You know, I, I thought the same thing. when And in the post-fight press conference, Dana said, how can I not give Connor a, a bonus? And I thought, <laughs> well, because you paid him $8 million in the first place. Yeah. And he's got but, his whiskey, man. He's got the yeah. whiskey. But, you know, it, I think I, yeah, I might have to say that, as I said, that it's nice to see a more humble and a Conor McGregor, it's also nice to see a more humble Dana White. Kind of. Kind of. I didn't like that he is forcing this Khabib rematch. He's like, Conor spoke to me, he wants the Khabib rematch. Conor McGregor spoke to everybody and says he wants the Khabib rematch. Besides the two other fights between Jorge Masvidal or Nate Diaz or even potentially Justin Gaethje, I think Dana White has kind of selected hearing in that aspect and he wants this rematch because yeah it would be huge it'd probably be three million pay-per-view buys but i don't think connor wants to wait till the fall i think connor wants to fight midsummer i think dana white you say he's humble i think he's getting a little greedy right now well 
That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know the the uh, the business behind the ESPN deal. I kind of knew the business behind the Fox deal, and I think the Fox deal was was flawed in that the UFC promised a certain amount of fight cards. And I think they, they oversaturated their own sport. They oversaturated their business. And I think people lost interest during the Fox sports era because there were just too many fights. So it's every weekend it was a fight. And there were people that were O and O in the UFC. I mean, how are you O and O and make it to the UFC? <laughs> They're trying to get the, the local sales, the ticket sales. I, I know why they did it, but it didn't make sense. Exactly. I know why they did it too, because they had to fill, they had to fill the, the content. They had to fill the, the, the space. And I don't, I didn't like that, but I, like I said, I don't know the actual specifics of the, of the business deal between you ESPN, but listen, I, I'm, I'm happy with Connor fighting Khabib. Um, I would rather see him fight Masvidal. I would, and I, frankly, I would like to see Masvidal fight Nick Diaz. Because Ooh, I love that, that too, man. I'm one of those old school guys. I heard Nick, everybody hated that Nick Diaz interview, the sit down with Ariel Hawani. But I was like, maybe he's just over overexcited. Maybe he's not too sober. Trust me, if he had a training camp ahead of him and a paycheck line ahead, I'm sure he would clean up and straighten everything out. Agree, 100. percent And you know, Nick Diaz, I, I'll never forget. It was I was at the Thomas and Mack Center, and it was, I think it was Pride 33, and he fought. Gomi, and that was one of the big, the first times I was live when I witnessed a war, and it was, it was a war, and that was Nick Diaz back in what, 2008, 2007, I, I don't remember the year, but it was amazing, I was like, wow, this is a, I, I, I just, the Diaz brothers, and Nate has always been like the younger brother, now Nate's the big brother. <laughs> yeah, he's buying all the dinners when they go out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, but you know, I, I, I'll tell you, Nate and Nick have always been guys that when I, um, I tread lightly around them. I, tre I used to tread lightly around Chuck Liddell, too. And, and quite frankly, Anderson Silva used to walk with a posse full of badasses. And, you know, I was always – I treaded lightly around those guys, too, because at any moment, you know, like you said, these guys are killers. They'll, they'll, they'll rip your head off and uh, take your lunch money and – sleep with your wife and won't think twice about it <laughs> well i don't know about the last part <laughs> but, but dude i'm with you i i would love to get masvidal diaz i think the ufc they try to force out these certain superstars and try to make them feel illegitimate i would love if khabib gets past tony ferguson in brooklyn in april that khabib would fight gsp in MSG in the fall and that he would box out Connor, the former bully and make him just resent everything he did to him and just make him kind of hate himself and have big regrets about that fight. I, I wish that Khabib would never give him that rematch, but money talks. I mean, Khabib says that he has enough money. He's got money from Putin, but he says he doesn't need anymore. He wants to go 30 and 0. He wants Ferguson GSP and he's out. But what I'm alluding to is the UFC will force GSP to not fight Khabib, and they will force Nick Diaz out against Masvidal because they will let them know that they're irrelevant, that the, their contract is too much that they're asking for. And, and I think the fans, in the end of the day, and even the broadcasters and the media, we lose out because those would be fantastic fights. Well, I don't know if I agree with you 100% in that the UFC would not want to see 
Nick versus Masvidal. And I, I also don't know if Connor should rematch Khabib because honestly, Khabib's going to kill him again. Yeah. There's, it's not even a fight. I'm not even sure why Khabib would want to fight GSP because first of all, they're not even in the same weight class and GSP is, he's, he's done. He's retired. He doesn't want to fight anymore. Why call out a guy? I've never understood that. The, Khabib is what? 28 and 0 right now. Yep. Yep. World champion. And he's calling out a guy who's been retired and he only came back to fight Bisping and he won and then retired again. It makes no sense to call out a guy like GSP. You might as well call out Anderson Silva. You might as well call, you know, Call out, you know, who else retired? Matt Hughes. Call out Matt Hughes. Call out Randy Couture. Call out Come Chuck. on. It, GSP hasn't lost, though. He's got the double belt. He, he, I know he retired back in 2013 and came back for the Bisping fight, but he never lost. He went out on his own terms. It's a little more sellable, in my opinion, than an it's Anderson not, Silva versus... It's nostalgic. Uh, it's sellable, I agree. But it doesn't make sense for a guy who's 28-0 and potentially 30-0 by the time he fights GSP to call out GSP. That doesn't he, make any sense to he me. He wants it. He said it's a legendary fight. It's a classic fight. He has respect for him. I, I believe if they did the Connor rematch that it would just, it'd be ugly in terms of Khabib's motivation. He wouldn't be all there. Connor McGregor would just be, he would probably be humble in the rematch, maybe talk a little, but that's more for Connor. I think if Khabib boxes him out and says, dude, I already passed that test. I want GSP because he's the greatest of all time. I know it's nostalgic, but I think that's the perfect word because nostalgia, legend, classic, I think that all refers to GSP, and we have limited time with him. Would, do you, would you mind if GSP returned at all? No, not, I would love to see GSP return, just not okay. against Khabib. Okay. I think, I think Khabib would lose that fight. What? Then that, it's sellable, man. It's sellable. <laughs> I'm sold but, but why would he do that to him, to his own legacy? That makes no sense whatsoever. George is so much bigger than Khabib. He's so much bigger than most guys. I know. GSP is rumored and he's posted on Instagram that he's got an eight pack and that he can make 155. There's some rumors that they might meet at 165 and that could be the inaugural 165 pound weight class. I mean, there are a few options. I, I, I would love to see the fight. Screw the weight. Just make it a classic fight. Do it at a big venue. Do it in Toronto. Do it at MSG. Do it in Moscow. I don't think GSP would be stabbed in Moscow. I think that's Conor McGregor territory. But I think uh, GSP versus Khabib is just, it's a huge classic fight and it reintroduces GSP to this new ESPN audience. Well, I don't disagree with the sentiment. I, I don't think it's a good fight for, for either guy. Dude, I don't I, think... I, I think love, GSP I love that you said GSP is going to win. I love that. I think GSP should come back. You know who I'd rather see him fight? I'd rather, again, I'm going to say it again, Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz. I would love the rematch. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you rematch. rematch. I would love that rematch. I remember the post-fight press conference after that Nick Diaz fight, and he looked, George St. Pierre looked like he got hit by a train. <laughs> is that the fight that every, like he's holding the ice bag? There's a famous photo yes. on, on, okay. Yes. <laughs> And I, I think I think another fight where he was holding an ice bag was um, um, Johnny Hendricks, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, he, and, he, and he won both those fights. So when you win, win those fights and you look like you got hit by a train, that, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, and maybe that's why he wants to fight Khabib because Khabib is really not known for his punching power. I mean, he did he did knock down Connor. 
But Connor got caught with that one punch. Khabib's known for more his ground and pound, obviously. He's not a stand-up machine like Connor is, or I mean, even I, who else can you? Who's a, who's a great stand-up fighter? Anderson Silva, you know, Tony Ferguson, George Masvidal. You know, people forget that Masvidal got got was he's he made history because he got choked out with a reverse triangle choke by Toby Amata back at when Bellator used to be on ESPN Deportes. Damn. <laughs> Remember that fight? No, no, I don't. It was like the first reverse triangle, and he choked him out. Toby Omada choked out George Masvidal. It was great. It was a great submission. ESPN Deportes is the best part of that story. That's Yeah. Well, remember when Bellator was supposed to be, you know, the, the Spanish? It was, they, were, they were like, you know, now it's uh, Combates America, the, you know, the, the uh. American market. But Bellator was – Bjorn Rebby's – his, his mission was to really have a Latin American MMA market. That's why, it called, that's why it's called Bellator. Huh. I guess that's an Aztec warrior or some type of reference there. I just, Bellator means, I think, warrior, yeah. Swing and a miss by Rebney. He's had a few of those. Well, you know what? I'll tell you, I liked Bjorn Rebney because Bjorn was always, he always gave me the time I needed with him. He always made every fighter available to me. He could have been Kimbo's. Uh, not, not Kimbo. Yeah, Kimbo. No, not Kimbo. It could have been anybody who was a star in Bellator. Um, why did I think Kimbo Slice? His first was, he was in Strikeforce at first, right? Yep, yep. Or Elite XC, one of those. Elite XC, that's right. Oh, God, what a fiasco <laughs> that show was. Gus Johnson. Was that Gus Johnson on the broadcast? Oh, we have violence. Yeah, poor Gus. That was Gary Shaw who promoted the show. And it was on it was on CBS. Yep. And it was it was promoted and produced by a guy named Scott Sussman and Kelly Call. Kelly Call was the vice president or executive vice president of scheduling for CBS and Sussman was vice pre or executive vice president of special events. So Sussman was known for producing the Tony Awards, for instance or some kind of like Miss America pageant on CBS. And Kelly Call was the guy who made the schedule. These, are, these were all guys under Les Moonves, who was the, the CEO of CBS. And they're the ones who were in charge of Elite XC. It, it, it boggled my mind that there was no sports guy involved in Elite XC on CBS. And that's why it was such a debacle. The only good fight in that first fight when Kimbo fought uh, – who did he fight? The guy from uh, England, and he, he popped his, his uh, cauliflower ear. Was it Thompson or Thomas yeah, James or something? Thompson, yeah, James Thompson. Okay. Right. The only good fight on that card that night was Gina Carano. Oh, look at that. I didn't know Gina was on that. I just tuned in as a, I think I was maybe borderline casual at that time just for the Kimbo fight. Yeah, Gina, Gina was, she was, I, I remember saying to Gary Shaw after the fight, congratulations, you just inherited the first women's um, MMA league. Because that was the only fight that was worth watching tonight. Wow. Oh, it was, well, you, that was a terrible card. One of your names on your resume should be visionary, Mike. You, you've seen it all. You've seen the future, man. You, you really have it. it. When it comes to seeing what could be sellable, potential, it's it, – seeing it all come to fruition, is, is it just – do you sit back and go, like, I told you so, or are you, like, just excited to be a part of the sport? And I'm just, just excited to be part of it, you know. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I, you know, I've, I've we done, all do. We all do. You know, I've, I've, I've made, made mistakes in my career. Um, I've not been always right. 
you know, I think one of my biggest, my, well, forget about me, you know, but, but one of my biggest regrets was leaving Fox to go to HDNet to host Fighting Words with Mike Straga because Mark Cuban and Andrew, uh, whatever his name was, I forgot the, like, the guy who was running um, HDNet fights, Andrew Simon, you know, they promised me the world. And, you know, they canceled the show after like, you know, seven months. And I've worked at Fox for 15 years. And I left to go do this thing thinking that this is my, this is my future. And seven months later, they canceled the show. And Mark Cuban said to me, it's not personal, Mike. I go, really? Tell that to my wife and my kids. Yeah. It's not personal? What was, uh, to flip it to a, a more positive note, what was your favorite interview or moment in those seven months at uh, HDNet? Oh, so many. Uh, Dude, you, the interviews are Chuck amazing. And, and I love your Liddell. style of interview. Chuck Liddell, Ken Shamrock, uh, Frankie Edgar, Anderson Silva, even though he made me <laughs> crazy that day. <laughs> but he still gave me a good interview. Uh, there was just so I, you know, Matt Hughes, everybody, George, the people I interviewed on that. That was a great, I loved that show. Not because it was me, but because it was the very first one-on-one -on -one interview show on television that focused solely on mixed martial arts athletes. And it, and it was, it was groundbreaking. I, and I, you know, not, it wasn't me who created the show. It was Andrew Simon and, and Mark Cuban. So I'll give them credit for that. But I, I just, I had a great, great run on that. And I, I was disappointed that it, because that show should have lasted for 10 years. Yeah. Yes. It, it should have been a YouTube channel by now and freaking streamed live everywhere across the world. Yep. Not to put salt in the wound, but dude, you're, you're talented. You're a legend. You're connected. And my favorite part about your story and your Wikipedia is that you trained and you've wrestled and you've trained at amazing dojos and gyms and you're uh, multifaceted and, and many martial arts. I mean, that's what I appreciate about you, man. It, you're passionate about it. And it, it pisses me off when these executives, like the CBS executives on both sides, radio or TV, that they're not fully enthralled in what they're investing in. And I just think this is going to be a fantastic podcast because we're two passionate MMA fans, broadcasters, and martial artists. And I, I just think it's a win-win situation. And I'm excited to work with you, man. 100%. And also... I, I don't forget, I respect, and I'm sure you do, I respect the game that the fighters have to play. Yes. You know, taking time away from their families, taking time away from their wives and their girlfriends to go and train. And, and, they, and training for an MMA fight for a 25-minute fight, that's a six-month endeavor of three days. And three days are tough, especially if you're not at an ATT or you're not in Albuquerque with Greg Jackson, when you have to go, let me drive to jujitsu. Let me drive to strength and conditioning. Let me go drive to Muay Thai. Let me drive to MMA practice. For, like When I look at Frankie Edgar and all the guys in Jersey, these guys have to travel to different gyms because there's, not one, there's no one-stop shop where you're going to get the best trainers. Like Ricardo Almeida is all the way down near Pennsylvania, near Philadelphia. Yep. You got Nick Catone all the way up at Bricktown. You got Mark Henry in Sayreville. You know, all of these guys that train all of these great fighters in Jersey, they're not, they're not a, a, in one gym. And, and you know what else? I'll tell you, since we're on the subject of trainers, I think that a lot of fighters take trainers for granted. 
And these guys are so naive, fighters are so naive to think, oh, well, I don't have to pay for my, for my classes because I'm, gonna, I'm a famous fighter and I'm gonna bring in more students because I'm at this academy. Well, you know what I say? I say, fuck that. You pay your fucking trainers and, and it's, I just, you know, people don't open gyms for free. They don't yeah. buy mats for free. There's no, yeah. like, like, nobody's getting free mats. Nobody's getting free uh, bleach to clean the mats. Yeah. Nobody's getting free plumbing and free electric and, and free rent. So pay your freaking trainers. And I think we've come a long way. MMA is what, 20 years old now? 25 plus. All right, 25 plus. It's, it's been long enough where fighters should know better. Pay your trainers. Stop being such divas and such little fucking bitches that you think you, you, should, be, you should be training for free because, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm making a name for you. No, fuck that. This guy's paying for rent and he's paying for mats and everything I just mentioned. Not to mention, you know, he's got a family to feed. It, nailed it. And not even just pay them and show financial respect, show verbal respect. You know, uh, relating this back to Conor McGregor, a lot of uh, finger pointing went on post UFC 229, Khabib versus McGregor. McGregor was blaming his, his trainers and his head coach for the game plan that he was too defensive, that he wasn't offensive enough, that he was worn out from the wrestlers that they brought into the camp to train for Khabib, that his mind wasn't there. He called them out publicly. Dude, handle that behind closed doors. And then I got to hear John Kavanaugh, the Morpheus to Conor McGregor's Neo, the head coach at, S, uh, what is it, SGB, the South, whatever, the Irish boxing, yeah. uh, um, straight blast gym, SBG. John Kavanaugh comes out and he says, Conor McGregor has more fighting IQ than us combined. All right, maybe inside the cage. But then what the hell does he need you for outside? He could set up his own schedule, bring in his own boxers, open up his own McGregor gym. He doesn't need you. I need to see more respect, not just financially from the fighters. I'm sure McGregor's team is well paid, but verbally. Because then you see these young kids, teenagers, if they become a local champion on a local circuit maybe they might think their chin is a little too high maybe they might think they're a little better than the people that have helped them get to that point conor mcgregor all eyes are on him he needs to be the best example of the sport way back to our teaser episode like you said randy couture well-spoken gentleman but an absolute savage inside the cage absolutely agree I mean, if you think about the Diaz brothers, what did it say after every single fight that they won? Season uh, three, yep, Jiu-Jitsu. yep, yep, yep. I love it. I love it. Yep. And, 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 and there are fighters out there who, who are retired, like Gil Melendez, for instance, and he's got El Nino Jim in San Francisco. You know, and he and Josh Thompson were big rivals in strike force. And where do you think Josh trains now? He doesn't train in AKA all, all the time. He trains with, with Gil because they're friends. Wow. You know, like Josh was there when Gil's daughter was born. So, like, and he's, remember they had legendary fights in Strike Force. And I'll tell you, you know, even though I'm not so enthralled with Bellator right now, and I, part of it's personal because I got fired from my Spike TV show, but <laughs> um, I think Scott Carter. R.I.P. to Craig Carton. He's not dead, but he's incarcerated. Oh, I, I have nothing bad to say about Craig Carton. I love Craig. He's, Craig. I've had many conversations with him. He brought me on set. Uh, this was years ago, 2012. I was an intern at CBS and I remember seeing you on set. Uh, I was just, I was just happy to be there, man. And, uh, Craig, 
obviously you you guys are great broadcasters and uh just nice people like besides all the crap that you see in the media it's he's he's a nice guy when it comes down to it yeah i did you know i'm 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 uh disappointed in what has happened and what transpired and i i understand you know gambling is an addiction man and it's yes. it's ugly and it and when you're a guy who's got that kind of money to lose you know people give you that credit and you know hey Craig, you want a million dollars in chips? How are you going to say no to that when you're a gambler? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they want to collect and you, you don't have it. And, you know, I think, I just think, you know, things went downhill fast for him, but I, I have nothing but good memories of Craig Carton. He was one of the most generous people, nice guy, never had a bad word about anybody. Well, at least not, on, not, not in private, you know, on his, his public persona. Yeah. But that was his job. Exactly. That's that's yep. why I feel like uh, transition a little. I feel like we are in the age that it doesn't have to be the cleaned up journalists like the Luke Thomas or the Ariel Hawani that is just getting all this fighter's attention. Why can't we have a little zig and a zag in the broadcast aspect of it? You know, it, it, you and me are great guys and humble guys, but why can't we just stoke the fire a little bit? I think we can be pioneers in the sense of making these fighters less sensitive. And I think relating back, Craig was one of those. I think he... He kind of stoked the fire on the air and with fighters and with interviews and with his panelists. And uh, I, I, I think if MMA Uncensored came out a little later, I think if Fighting Words came out a little later, it would be just epic. But I think we have great things on our hands with the MMA Mavericks podcast. I agree with that. Um, I will say that one thing that was a detriment to MMA Uncensored Live was that Craig really wasn't a fan of the sport. And he never really followed the sport. You know, I, I remember one night he said something to the effect of, you know, why is, um, God, who was the uh, good-looking Japanese was fighter? It? Oh. Sexyama. Remember <laughs> yeah, Sexyama? What, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did he say about him? Well, it was the first UFC fight in Japan. Because UFC didn't go to Japan because of pride. Right, right, right. And, and it was the first UFC fight in Japan, and Craig said something to the effect of, why is Akiyama even on this card? And I was thinking, he's the only Japanese fighter on the UFC roster. <laughs> I, I, how could you even <laughs> ask that question on live television? I mean, seriously, dude. Oh, damn. This was live? I thought this would be like... Oh, no. The, the <laughs> this show was offset. The show was called MMA Uncensored Live. Oh, no. No, I thought maybe on a commercial break. Oh, he, no. he, he said it on TV. And craggy, I just, craggy, craggy. I just sat there and I, I, I said... And of course, me not realizing that he was the big dog on the show, <laughs> I called him right out on, on the air. And I didn't, I'll tell you, I, that did not go well with the bosses either. But it, it went well with Craig, right? He could take the punch. Yeah, but no, actually, he didn't take it too well. Oh, damn it. <laughs> damn it. I'm crediting him that we're in a new age, that like everybody's so thin-skinned. And damn it, Craig fell into the same, uh, same avenue. Well... It's okay. You know, like I said, I, I wasn't, and I've never been the easiest guy to work with. So, but you know, just as fighters and get humbled, I, I was pretty humbled, but I dude, I, I interviewed so many fighters. I've written hundreds of UFC columns, you know, written hundreds books, of Fox, books Fox well. news columns. Yeah. Books and TV shows. Hey, yeah. I'm, I've had a good run and I'm really excited about this podcast because uh, it's something that my friends have long told me I should be doing. This is going back to like 2011, 2012. Like, what do you, why don't you have a podcast? <laughs> and the answer is, I, I, 
you know, I, I haven't found the right co-host, and I think I have. My man, my man, what a great segue to end it. Uh, I think we've reached our recording time. That just flowed pretty nicely, man. I don't want this to shut off midway, and then all of a sudden it just ends on uh, me uh, just mid-sentence or you mid-sentence. But, Mike, this was a fantastic episode. I, we started with Connor. We flowed into everything. I, I have no problem with that. I think that might be something that happens often. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think we both have too much knowledge and keep everything in. And I like, I like how we go in different tangents um, and we have personal stories about things and we know the history of the broadcasting. We know who the promoters are. We know who the fighters are. And more importantly, I, I think, uh, I think the audience is going to realize that we, we were both really big fans. And like you said, we're practitioners, we're martial artists. We respect the fighters. We respect the game. I appreciate the credit, but you are a third degree black belt in MMA knowledge and history and behind the scenes stuff. So I am bowing to you. I don't know if you could see it, but I am bowing, bowing, bowing to you, man. I'm a purple belt. Hopefully I get my first stripe after this episode or let's start white belt and I'll work my way up to black belt. Nah, I I think you're a purple belt. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But Mike, I plan on doing so much with this podcast with you whether it's on-site stuff whether it's in-gym interviews whether it's funny videos of us pretending that we're mixed martial artists and fighting and whatnot but the future is broad Uh, i'm excited about what's to come man and uh do you have anything to say in closing no man i just i hope uh hope your wife's proud of you you know and i hope you keep doing what you're doing because you know you push for this too you know i push for it you push for it and and Believe Network brought us together, and I think it's a good, it's a good match. We're married now, so uh, get used to it, my brother. All right, brother. <laughs> All right, so, I- Until next time. Enjoy the fights. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.